Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And if you are a guest with us, just like Becky said, I want to welcome you here this morning. And my hope for you is the same as it is for every single person who's here, um, whether you've been here for a long time or brand new. It's, and that's simply this, no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, my hope and my prayer is that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about. And as we continue today in our series on James, uh, I, I'm really excited because what we're going to talk about today, I will tell you, has been impacting me personally all week, and it's been frustrating. Uh, but that's okay. We'll get to that in a second. And, and I'm a, you, this may surprise you to know this about me. When I was growing up, I never really fit in, okay? Um, you, you may be like, oh, but you're the coolest, Pastor Jimmy. You fit in everywhere. <laughs> I know, right? Um, this is new. But actually, when I, was, when I was young, I was not athletic. I, I did not have great social skills. I wrestled um, actually through a very difficult personal um, physical abnormality that uh, just it, it, it set me apart from the others who were around me when I was young. And I realized that when you're young, if there's something that's different about you, those around you will quickly point it out. Has anybody else ever experienced this? Yeah, okay, so uh, yeah. And if you're sitting here thinking like, oh, Wait, that's not just kids, that's adults. Yeah, we do it too, don't we? Something's different, we point it out. And I, I realized that it doesn't just happen with kids, but it, it was difficult. And about two weeks ago, in the Kingsway District, our middle school did an African-American experience to celebrate uh, in February, Black History Month. And if you had the opportunity to go through, what you would have seen was that all of the eighth graders picked an influential African-American or event in America, and they had to do all this work to come up with a presentation and then do a monologue in front of all the people in the school. <laughs> right? Sounds great, doesn't it? Um, so I did ask my son if I could share this. So he's over with the kids now. I'm not blowing him up. I promise. I did ask. Uh, you know, Jimmy, my son who's in eighth grade, he, he picked Wilt Chamberlain. And I was like, oh, this is great. My almost five foot, maybe five foot son is taking on seven foot something Wilt Chamberlain. And I'm like, how are you going to do this? He's like, I'll figure it out. And uh, he got picked as one of the kids who were going to be in the front lobby of the middle school, which means you can't avoid seeing him. And he was so pumped, he was so excited, and what you would do is you'd go up, you'd little push a little like fake button, and then they'd come to life from their wax you know, stance and then do their presentation. And he had practiced, he had prepped, and we got there early, heard the presentation, he killed it. And I was like, oh man, he's, he's got something here. Like, this is cool. And then we walked around the rest of the school, and he thought, maybe I'll do this two, three, four times, who's gonna care? He ended up doing it over 40 times because he's in the front and people keep pushing the button and, and he was doing great. As we were leaving the school, I said to him, I said, how, how was it? He's like, I'm tired. I said, I know, buddy, I've been there. And he said, but dad, you know, it was hard. And I said, what? He goes, someone came by and all the seventh graders came by. And then there was one presentation when they pushed the button, I started going through. And I said, in 1960, Wait, I mean, in 1963, and I corrected myself, and then I finished the presentation. When it was over, one of the adults who was there just looked at me, and he said, you do know you messed up in your presentation, don't you? And then walked away. He didn't know who this adult was. He had no idea. And when he told me, I said, well, you could just thank God that's not your dad, right? Um, wait, I do that. Uh, I said, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, but... 
that really hurt. I mean, I corrected myself. I, I don't know what else I could have done. Now, Eileen and I had an opportunity to encourage him. We had an opportunity to celebrate. Man, man, you really did well. His teachers came by. The principal came by. Like Everybody, everybody was celebrating. You did a great job. But let's be honest. What do you think he remembers from that day? What would you remember from that day? He heard two sets of words that day. One set was destructive. And one set took delight. And I think the truth is for all of us, we are, whether we like it or not, at the mercy of words. We are at the mercy of words. We say, we read, and we hear so many words every single day, and we forget how wonderful a thing a word is. It's beautiful. When God gave us the faculty of speech, he gave us a tool that we could build with, right? We can encourage people with, but we can also use this as a weapon of destruction. And we've all experienced both sides of those, haven't we? We've experienced both sides of words. And I'm guessing, if I was being honest today, we've been on the delivering side of both of those words, haven't we? I know the old adage growing up, and how many of you have heard this saying, this saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names, or in this case, words, will never hurt me. I, I, did you hear that? All right, online, you're hearing that, right? What a bunch of garbage this is. Why in the world have we taken this and tried to teach our kids that the words that people say don't matter? I, I call me crazy, but this is the biggest lie that we learn growing up that we pass on to our children, teaching them that the names people call us don't matter. Yes, sticks and stones will absolutely break our bones, but names and words deeply hurt us. They can destroy us, and they probably take a lot longer to heal from than a broken bone. Amen? Right? Words, for being so little, have the power to direct, to destroy, or to delight. And this morning, as we continue in our series through James, I would love for us to seriously consider from James chapter 3, you could feel free to turn there with me in your Bibles, how, how do we use our words? And how can we use our words wisely? Are we really willing to pay attention to what we say? And so let's look at James chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you, in the book of James this has been an extremely practical book, and James jumps from topic to topic to topic. And so this one, he spends a lot more time on this section than he does in the other sections of this book. And this is where he's getting extremely practical. And remember, our goal here is finding joy in times of trouble. Our words cause us more trouble than they do joy sometimes. So how do we find the joy here? Let's pick it up. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Just can you highlight that, underline that. That should give you some frame of reference for grace for the people sitting next to you, okay? We all make mistakes here, right? Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
Now, it seems like an awkward transition that James is making from the passage we unpacked last week, but he addresses something that really needs to be addressed in the context of the churches that he's writing. These scattered churches made up of Jewish followers of Jesus, what's important to understand is teaching in these communities was considered the pinnacle of spirituality. Right? It, it showed that you had arrived in your faith. It's almost similar to many churches today, that we elevate those who preach or those who teach. Um, and then they would have battles in the church there over who could teach, when they could teach, what gender they had to be to teach, what was an appropriate time and space and age and all these things that, honestly, we still argue about today. And James's command is like, dude, don't, 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 don't try to be the teacher. Because when you strive to be the teacher, you're going to be held more accountable than anybody else around you because people are going to listen to your words and they really matter. And don't assume that teaching is the good deed that shows your faith. Right? Last week, your deeds show your faith. Teaching is not a good deed that shows your faith. It's so much more of a responsibility because you will be judged very strictly by Jesus because of what you say. And so for those of us who are teachers, preachers, counselors, and people listen to our advice, our words deeply matter. They deeply matter. And what I think James does here is James is going to jump and get very practical, I believe, on a scale for everyone. There are some uh, scholars who believe that he's just talking about teachers and preachers in the next section. I don't. I think it's a much more general approach to the whole church that he's talking to. So let's see what James has to say to us together, since I already feel the weight of these words matter. He says this, starting James 3, verse 3. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong, right? In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that can make grand speeches. Now, the imagery that James uses here to me is so much fun. I like that he uses visual pictures, and he's going to show us here that our tongue has the power to direct. This is the first thing that James is going to show us here, that our tongue has the power to direct. And the two images that he uses are a horse's bit and the rudder of a ship. Both of these instruments his readers would have immediately connected with because it's an agricultural society. You know, it's, it's built around farming and fishing, and this was part of their everyday lives. So he uses the illustration of a horse's bit. Now, the average horse bit is probably going to be about five to six inches long. So if you were to take your hand out and spread it out, depending on how monstrous your hands are, it may be a little bit smaller, but it's going to be about the size of your pinky to your thumb. So go ahead, just hold it up in front of your face. See that size? For some of you, you may want to go like, Joe, I see your hands. You want to go index th finger thumb, okay? I've seen you palm a basketball. It's different, right? It's, it's, it's really not that big. But here's the thing. For such a small, tiny piece of metal, it can direct the largest of horses. Now, you're about to see a picture of Big Jake. Big Jake is the Guinness World Record holder for the tallest horse, and it's just under seven feet tall. I think he's a monster, isn't he? He's huge, about 2,600 pounds, and this beast, I mean, right, a, a, over a ton, this beast can easily be controlled by a piece of metal that's in his mouth about this big, can easily be controlled. 
And what the bit does is it sits in the horse's mouth, and the way it's positioned, it's connected to the reins, and whoever controls the reins controls the horse. It seems crazy to me how something that costs only $25 on Amazon that could get to you later today can control something so big. It's so small, yet it directs this huge, huge animal. How about the rudder of a ship? To help us understand, if you don't know what a rudder is, it's going to be the small part in the back of the boat that it actually directs where your ship goes. It's submerged underwater, so you don't normally see it. Very small, but unbelievably important. Think about, for a second, the Titanic, right? We all know the story of this ship going down. This vessel itself, about 882 feet long, so think about the size of a football field. It's over 92 feet wide. It is huge and 175 feet tall. It was capable of carrying over 3,000 people at a time. And the funniest thing about this vessel is it was controlled by a rudder that was about 15 feet at its longest point. That little swivel in the back is what controlled a football field length boat. It's a huge boat directed by 15 feet of metal in the water. So small, but it could set the entire direction of the ship. James uses the horse's bit, the ship rudder, these two small instruments to help us understand that it's something so small that can direct something so large. And in verse five, that's why he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. We have to understand that as small as our tongue is, this little muscle, the words that it produces have great power. And James is clear that our words have the power to direct. They could direct for the better or for the worse, right? We can probably all think of different words that have been spoken over us that have directed our lives. I mean, someone who saw us maybe draw a picture. They, we, they saw us hit a ball, catch a ball, throw a ball, do something with a ball. They saw us run. They saw us, uh, you know, uh, the, the ability for us to read as fast as we did or comprehend what we could, to speak in a certain way, to sing, to act. Someone saw how we listened to our friends who were in pain. Someone saw how we showed up. Someone saw something in us and they complimented us and they spoke words over us and they said something in our lives like, wow wow, you're really good at that. That's really amazing. And something clicked inside us, right? Many of us, or some of us, are doing professionally what someone spoke over us when we were little. And they spoke some sort of direction about things that worked, and you're still going that direction. You're still heading that way. Maybe you did pursue being an artist. Maybe you pursued being an actor, a teacher, a banker. You're, you're on that road to be an athlete. The words that are spoken over us when we're young that direct us in a great way are usually spoken over us by people we trust, our parents, counselors, teachers, coaches, small group leaders, or pastors. And think for a second, can, can anybody think of those pleasurable words, those words that have really directed you in a positive way in your life? Can you think of someone right now? Go ahead and raise your hand if you could think of someone who's spoken great words over you. Raise your hand high. You need to know that we do this, right? Okay, do me a favor on the program that's on the side of your seats. If you don't have one, grab one. Write the name of that person down because you need to text them and say thank you after service right now, okay? Text them to say thank you. And if they're no longer alive, would you do me a favor, honor them by sharing what they spoke over you with somebody? 
We need to highlight these words in our life because they've directed us in great ways. But we also know the flip side of this, that not all words that direct us are spoken in positive ways. I think, unfortunately, we're more familiar with the words spoken over us that, like the rudder for the Titanic, steered us into an iceberg. Those words that directed us to a place we didn't think we were going. We'll we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But the one thing that James wants us to understand right up front with this illustration is that our tongue, as small as it is, the small part of our body, it has the power to direct. The probing question that we need to ask today is how are my words directing those around me? Your words matter. My words matter. How are they directing the people who are around you? If you're in a place of authority, especially if you're in a place of authority, bosses, managers, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, teachers, coaches, older siblings, your words carry weight. They matter to the people around you and help set direction. How are you using them? So James continues from the bit, the rudder, and and he says this in verse five, we'll continue, and he says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body, It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. James shows us here that not only does our tongue have the power to direct, but our tongue has the power to destroy. Our tongue has the power to destroy. And the word picture he uses speaks volumes to us today. It's like a tiny spark that starts a fire. So small, yet so powerful. He describes the tongue as a world of evil among all of our body parts and how it sets the course of our life and can light our life on fire. It could bring us into... Has anybody else been in trouble because of their words besides me? Said something, okay, good, yeah, right? And you're like, how did I get in this mess? You spoke. You said something, and our life catches on fire. And, and our fireball of a mouth sometimes, it seemed so insignificant, but it was huge. Uh, it, it's, it only takes a spark to blow things up sometimes. I, I think of the, uh, do you remember the gender reveal? And I think it was September of 2020 in El Dorado. It was... Uh, a family who was doing a gender reveal. They stopped at a state park in El Dorado and they had a smoke machine. And there was a spark in the smoke machine that, that started and that one spark caught the, the dry grass that was around. The grass was about two, maybe three feet high. It wasn't huge. It's, it's, and it's arid California. And it sparked and they couldn't put that fire out for 23 days. For 23 days, they could not put out a fire that ended up covering, I think it was close to 2,300 acres of land over 23 days. It took over, uh, what was it, Uh, five homes it destroyed, 15 other buildings, and it claimed the life of 39-year-old Charlie Morton, who was one of the firefighters sent to stop a gender reveal fire. 
that got out of control. Here's the truth about a spark. Sometimes we don't see the effects of the fire until it's too late. I will be very upfront with you. This is one of the reasons that we're doing our real relationships training next week. This is one of the reasons is, let's just be honest, our words start fire all the time. And I will tell you, my wife might even be able to affirm uh, this changed the way that I communicated because I was using the wrong words in my home. You can amen that, honey. It's okay. Um, I, I was. And this training reset how, it wasn't about like, oh, she's got to figure this out. She's, this was about me learning. I, I'm not communicating well here. And I'm starting fires everywhere. And I'm pissed that everything around me is catching on fire. And my whole life feels like 2,300 acres blowing up around me. What's the problem? That's my problem. This was, I needed to get this right now. I'm telling you, if you have not done this training with us, you need to do this. This is not like we get nothing from this. This is for you. It is worth rearranging everything in your schedule to get there. I promise you it is worth your time. I don't care if it's a soccer game, a sports game, a recital or whatever. You figure this out. You need to learn this tool for you. It will change your life because our tongue has the ability to blow everything up around us. It destroys. We need to use our words wisely. Sometimes our words are like little fiery darts and they attack and they hit tender hearts. And you and I have been on the receiving end of this, haven't we? That they've hit our hearts and directed us in ways that are not healthy. Our shield and our defenses didn't have a, time, didn't have a chance to come up yet when we were little and people have spoken these destructive words in our life. We don't understand who God's made us yet, so we're leaning on the direction of others and when they speak these destructive words into our life, People speak at us, forcefully at us, and we receive what they say when we're little, don't we? And I keep mentioning when we're younger, but I know that this happens to us as adults as well, and it's destructive no matter what. We hear things like, you know, you're being really annoying and don't be so stupid. If you hear that enough, it genuinely makes you believe this is who you are. Why can't you be like, and they keep mentioning that sibling or that coworker, and they compare you constantly to somebody. That makes us start comparing ourselves with the people around us. We don't even need others to do it now. Now we know we're less than everybody around us, and we're speaking destructive words over ourselves because someone has kept speaking that over us. Why can't you do anything right? This kills me because when we do that, we set up right being correct is our way. And that discourages failure. It discourages trying new things, which is how you, you learn. Just because it's not on someone else's timetable or it doesn't meet their unspoken expectations, these words of, you can't do this right, you're so much less than. They destroy our souls. They breed insecurity. Are you sure you want that extra dessert? I've worked with teenagers too long to know that comments like this set the course of a life of destructions, of eating disorders, mental health issues. For boys and girls, this is not a gender thing by any means but our appearance and people's comments about it can destroy us. 
maybe the destruction and the destructive words spoken over you are so personal and so deep that you've tried to ignore them, you've tried to forget them, but let's just be honest, the damage for many of us has already been done. And we have learned to live life dealing with those words rather than dealing with those words and taking care of them and bringing them to the throne of God and saying, you've got to take care of this. Instead, we've said, I've got to take care of this and I believe this is true about me. And maybe for some of us right now, and I say us intentionally because I know this is me, I know that I've spoken destructive words over people. We need to confess that we do this and catch our words. I know in my anger and my frustration and in my stress that I have snapped. I know that I have had conversations. I'm, we're just talking. Then why are you so loud and mean? I don't know. I've had conversa- conversations with my wife, with my kids, with our staff, my neighbors, with some of you. Conversations where my words, I knew at the end, those are going to leave a mark. Those weren't directive or helpful. Those were destructive. I knew in hindsight, I, I, I've been the guy who shot fiery arrows into some of your lives, into my own life, and I, I, I do this. It was, I do everything I can when I do that to go back, to repent, to ask for forgiveness, try to own my words, my tone, whatever I, I've done that's wrong. And I thought this was tough, at six, seven, and eight when my kids were that old, and I was like, man, this is parenting is hard, but now I can tell you, 13, 14, 15, it's it's even harder for me sometimes. And I know I still do this, and you can ask them. I'm saying sorry constantly in my home, and I feel so guilty about this at times because I know that they're fending off fiery darts at school constantly. They don't need this at home, and yet I, I still do this. I know this is hard. I get it but I am positive that we're going to continue to struggle with this. And if we don't repent and confess, we are in deep trouble. Because James tells us in verse 8, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Like everything. They can tame a killer whale and you can go see it do do things. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongue, for as small as it is, can direct, but it can absolutely destroy. And getting a hold on what we say really matters in our life and in the lives of the people who are around us. And if it goes unchecked, we will set fires in people's lives and in our life all around. How are your words being used? And then James continues this section and finalizes it in verse 9. And he says this, sometimes when he talks about our tongue, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes... It curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, it is not right. Does a spring of water bubbling out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. I love that James uses imagery and pictures. It helps me right? He cuts straight to the heart with the same mouth. We sit here and we could praise God and yet turn around and curse the person made in his image right next to us. Isn't that wild? God, thank you for being so awesome, for being so grace. You suck. Amen. (laughs) But we do this, don't we? 
And, and I know some of you are like, I can't believe you just said you suck. Please, we say so much worse than that. If you're offended by that, just think about your own words. We say so much worse. And if you're thinking, I don't say that, you think it. And if you think it, it's going to come out. Listen, with the same mouth we have here, we can delight in things and destroy them. And our tongue has the power to delight. Our tongue has the power to delight. With the same tongue, we can curse and tear people down. But in verse 10, James says, listen, you, you can't do that. This is not right. This is not right. This is not the way it is. This is doublespeak. This is what most of us hate, isn't it? And so, like, but we all do it. And the imagery is beautiful. He, he uses fruit and water as his examples. Fresh water, salt water. They cannot come from the same spring. It does not work that way. If it's a freshwater spring, we expect fresh water to come out, correct? If you buy a bottle of Poland Spring on your way home today, advertising that it's 100% natural spring water, you crack that baby open after, you know, breakdown if you're helping out today, and you go to drink that, and it's got salt water in it, how do you feel? Give me some feeling. Come on. Yuck. What is it? Yuck. Yuck. Okay. I'm going to make some money off suing them. Right? You would say that your, your source is wrong. Your advertising is wrong. But for Poland Spring, if they don't go natural spring water, it's not, it, it, it doesn't work, right? You can't do that. But he brings up fruit trees. Fruit trees produce what? Fruit. And if we went out and planted a specific tree, and let's just say we plant a fig tree, what are you expecting is going to grow on this tree? Figs. The average fig tree is not going to um, actually produce fruit for, I don't know, probably about a good couple of years before you uh, are, are able to grab some. It has to mature. It's got to grow. Just like most fruit trees, you're not supposed to take the fruit the first couple of years. What would happen if you plant this tree, advertised as a fig tree, you don't see anything on it in a couple of years, it produces fruit, but instead of figs, it produces olives. What kind of tree did you plant? No, you planted a fig tree. No, you planted an olive tree. You couldn't see the fruit when you began, but you see the fruit when it's producing. That's what James is saying here. He's like, listen, you didn't plant a fruit tree that was olives. It's fig. You can only get one type of fruit from that type of tree. It doesn't work any other way. And if you take a bite of that olive, expecting it to taste like a fig, you, you are going to be deeply sorry you did that. A fig off the tree is sweet, beautiful, rich in your mouth. And an olive off the tree is hard and bitter and disgusting. Well, just like saltwater, freshwater, olives and figs, our hearts and our mouths cannot have both. We cannot sit and delight in God and destroy the people around us. And even Jesus has something to say about this. Again, in Luke chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. But here's what Jesus says. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. 
And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Underline this if you can or write it down in your programs. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say, Jesus tells us, what comes out of your mouth flows from what's in your heart. In the NIV, they translate this as um, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Fresh water, salt water, figs, olives, our words uttered by our tongue, they come from the overflow of our heart. Listen, our, our words do have the possibility of being delightful, don't they? When someone sees something in you and they speak to you and encourage you and bless you, do you not want to find yourself around that person more? People who have the gift of encouragement, that especially that, that Holy Spirit, spiritual gift of encouragement, I love being around people like that. They make my life better. I learn from them how to compliment people and see things that I don't normally see. This is beautiful, right? Our words are so powerful and we should be delighting in God. How many of us use our words to curse God and to bless people? And it's like, wait a second. Why can't the overflow of our heart bless God and bless people? When people hear our words, do they find delight? And if you're sitting here thinking, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what words, like, how do, I, how do I figure this out? I just, just ask yourself, what words come flying out of your mouth most of the time? Maybe there's a reason in the beginning of James that he says, do me a favor. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. I think because our words have the ability to reveal the true nature of our hearts. And for many of us, that's a super messed up place, isn't it? If Jesus says it's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, maybe you don't need to worry so much today about what words you're speaking as you do the position and the content of your heart. What's it filled with? If it's out of the overflow, that means that something's being poured in. Is this what's being poured in? Is it the songs and hymns and praises that we are supposed to celebrate with each other that's being poured in? Is it the books that we're reading and consuming, the music that we're listening to, the shows that we're watching? Is it, is it the, what's pouring into you? Because I promise you, whatever is pouring into you will overflow from you. And if you're thinking, well, my words are pleasant, fine, that's wonderful, amen. How's your tone? Because your words could be good, but tones could be off, and a tone will reveal what's happening. And so I don't want you to feel guilty today and, and like, oh, you need to clean up your language. You can't say this, you can't say... Listen, that, that doesn't matter. It genuinely doesn't matter. Because when your heart is filled with the love of God, when you are centered on Jesus, and just like we sang, would, would I understand your love for me for the love of others? When we understand God's love for us, we cannot help but love the people around us. We can't help but want to speak blessing, speak encouragement. And when we're not, that's a demonstration, that's a, 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 a flag that says our heart is off. 
a perfect time, let me just encourage you, a perfect time to stop and confess, to stop and reset and say, God, I'm off. I'm off. Maybe it's not a mouth issue. It's a heart issue. And so sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. No, they could do a lot worse. Or they can completely change the trajectory of someone's life that needs to know that they are loved by a God who gave himself up for them and that they have value, that they have worth because they've been created in his image and our words point back to the goodness and to the grace of Jesus Christ. And maybe today some of you need to hear that, that you have heard the words spoken over you, that you are less than, that you will never be. And I wanna tell you, those are not the words that Jesus speaks over you today. The words that Jesus speaks over you is, I love you and I have given up everything for you and I wanna be with you. And when you speak those words over others, I, 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 can, I can take care of that, take your ownership, ask for forgiveness. I could bring healing to them and I can reshape your heart too. Do not walk out of here thinking, I need to speak better. No. We need to be spoken to by Jesus. And if we don't hear what he's saying, all we hear is the world. And right now, nothing they say, nothing they say is like fresh water in our souls. It's salty. What spring comes from your heart today? I would encourage you today, tomorrow, this week, ask those around you, what's my tone? When am I off? And you're like, no way, I'm not inviting that. What are you scared of? What are you scared of? If we want to look like Jesus, this is an area we could do it. Let him conform your heart. It's worth it. Would you pray with me this morning as Jeff comes up to lead us in communion? Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to bring conviction, not for the sake of shaming or guilting, but so that we would see where we don't line up with the things, Jesus, that you love so that we can confess those, repent of those things, to receive your forgiveness and to love the things you love, to speak like you spoke. You were strong with people, but you always had compassion. And so I ask that you would, you would conform our hearts. You would conform our hearts to speak like you spoke, to love your word and to speak the truth of scripture over each other, like to, to retreat to the garden like you did with your disciples and to sing hymns over dinner and to laugh together, to enjoy life together, not at each other's expense. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of each other, those created in your image that we would celebrate and honor each other with words that bring you delight not that shoot arrows at each other. God, would we be a church? Would we be followers of Jesus who 
speak differently because our hearts are different. Not because we have a better control of our words and we don't curse, we don't say that or this, but because our hearts are truly for you and for others. So Holy Spirit, we're there. that doesn't line up. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I, I even ask for your protection over those that we have spoken, those arrows of fire into. Oh God, would you bring healing through great counselors, therapists, through your Holy Spirit deliverance. Oh Jesus, have mercy on us and our tongues. Bring conviction this week so we can line up with you. Jesus, it is in your holy, precious, and loving name we pray. Amen.